Poland has agreed to let the U.S. install a missile defense system there. We'll get the latest on this, the war, and other national security issues from Frank Gaffney. Also, does economics involve a moral issue? And what role does personal responsibility and a free market system play? This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. I am very excited about being on the show tonight. We're going to have a great time on Jerry Johnson Live. I'm Barry Creamer. There is a ton of news going on. Of course, there are a lot of things that have been happening with uh, political races this week, with endorsements and renouncements and Super Tuesday and the elections that took place in Florida and the Democratic debates that took place last night and all of that going on. There's a defense initiative, an announcement that came out about it today where things are being realized that are going to stir up some significant, I think, uh, significant, I know it's significant, I think we'll be aware that it's significant, uh, international issues, and we're going to talk about that. There's economic news that runs the gamut from Exxon's record profits to new unemployment statistics and uh, just the volatile market that we've been facing all along. Plus, we have a great guest uh, who's joined us in the house today, uh, Mr. Frank Gaffney. And I first just want to say welcome to you, and thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Barry. Oh, and man, it's a privilege. Let me tell you something. This guy is only uh, – I'm, I'm, I'm saying this as a compliment, all right? So uh, this guy's only 10 years older than I am, and he's got a resume that reads like he ought to be 80. Uh, and that's just, <laughs> that's just a skeletal resume that I'm looking at here. He is the uh, founder and president of the Center for Security Policy, uh, not-for-profit nonpartisan educational corporation that was established about 20 years ago now, I take it, Indeed. so back in 1988, and uh, has done great work through that organization. He's a columnist for the Washington Times, a monthly contributor to the Defense News and Investors. You know, there's, listen, there's just a ton of stuff this guy does. Just take my word for it. He knows what he's talking about it, and we'll go from there. But I do want to mention this also because of the things we're going to be asking him about in just a moment. Uh, in 1987, he began to serve as the Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Policy under President Reagan by, by President Reagan's nomination, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool, first of all. And uh, while serving there, he was responsible for policies involving nuclear forces, arms control, U.S.-European defense relations, and that's going to be particularly pertinent to some of the questions we want to be able to ask him in just a minute. Now, of course, he's been a frequent guest on Jerry Johnson Live, but I believe this is the first time we've been able to have him in the house. So we're glad to have you in the house here. Indeed. I, I, I wish it could always be that way, but it's nice to be here today. Yeah. And uh, by the way, you want to just mention to us why you're here, what you're doing here? I'm uh, here as one of the speakers at a program called the American uh, Truth Forum that is meeting out uh, 
Uh, Up in Grapevine, in, right? Uh, well, it's Grapevine tonight at, at dinner, and then uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank. It's Lonesome Dove uh, oh. uh, up in that neck right. of the woods right. uh, yeah, sure. uh, tomorrow. But well, it's a good program. Well, we're glad you're in the area and that you were able to take time to come and visit with us today. We want to ask you some questions about the things that are going on right now. Now, uh, we all know uh, that President Bush takes a pretty good beating uh, in the press. And, uh, you know, after he gave his State of the Union address, some of you heard uh, Craig Ferguson's little jab that he got in. It was like a farewell special edition of Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? You know? <laughs> what we want to be, you know, President Bush is honest about uh, sort of teasing himself sometimes about his use of the English language and how he does with it. So I, I appreciate that about him. There's no doubt he's an intelligent man that he's done some great things. Today, I just want to make sure that we take a good long look at some of the issues that are going on in the news. And we're going to start with foreign <coughs> affairs because that's what our uh, in-house guest is an expert at. And we want to get his take on some of the things that are going on in the world right now including some comments that were made in the State of the Union address, but also an announcement that came out today from Condoleezza Rice and the, the foreign minister from Poland. Uh, but after that, the, the, the last 30 minutes that we're in the show, I also want to talk about some domestic affairs, especially the economy, and some things about uh, a, a right way to look at economics and understand why we hold the economic views we do. It's not because we're stubborn or selfish or profit-driven. It's because of an ethical concern that we have about freedom. So we're going to talk about that during the last, last part of the show. And uh, even if you don't get to call in the first part, I'm not sure whether we'll have time to do call-ins this, this first part or not, uh, please hang on and call in the last half, because I also want to hear what you have to say about Mr. Gaffney's comments on uh, all of these issues that are going on. Well, here's the deal that uh, came out in the news today, Mr. Gaffney. Uh, the uh, Poland, uh, Poland's foreign minister announced that they had made an agreement with, and, and he announced this with Condoleezza Rice, by the way, that they'd made an agreement in principle with the U.S. on plans to install a U.S. missile defense system in the <coughs> Polish territory. Now, we had announced an interest in doing that, in establishing a missile shield, to, and, you know, presumably it's to protect Israel from an attack from Iran, for instance, or anyone in the region uh, from being able to use some you know, substantial ballistic missile to start off some, you know, conflagration of a war. We just want to be able to prevent that. Well, we had a tremendously negative reaction, I know, from Russia right off the bat and probably from some others also. And so what I'm wanting to know is uh, you've heard about this announcement that Radek Sikorsky apparently made, uh, their foreign minister. I'm just curious what you think about the fact that we've made this arrangement now that we're likely to move forward with the missile shield. What do you think Russia's reaction is going to be and all of that? What's your, what's your impression of this news coming out? Well, I think it's good news. Uh, as you mentioned, I had the privilege of serving President Reagan um, at an interesting time um, that in some ways is reminiscent of this one. And right. it was particularly in the early stages. I actually started working in the Reagan administration back in 1983, just about the time okay. that the president and his counterparts in uh, five European countries right. were putting into place an offensive missile deterrent to right. what was then the Soviet Union's rather dramatic threat to Western Europe. Sure. Part of our mutually assured destruction strategy, I it take it. It was indeed. And uh, it was basically trying to reestablish a, a credible deterrent in Europe in the face of the right. deployment of large numbers of quite menacing um, SS-20 missiles by the Soviets. And I mention it because I think that what happened there 
was the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union. Right. I, I think I agree. I, I, the, uh, the Soviets, as you remember, went to enormous lengths to try to persuade the Euro- Europeans, even, even to try to bring down some European governments right. over this deployment. Ultimately, the president and his allies prevailed. We got the missiles deployed. And I think the fact that the Soviets had tried just about everything I could think of, including threatening Armageddon. Right. Right. And couldn't bluff their way or bully their way into preventing this deployment. Right. Began to unravel the whole program for yeah. Moscow. I think Vladimir Putin, today's president, tomorrow's right. prime minister, perhaps uh, whatever but, he's going to be, the power, the power still in the Russia mob, mob today, boss. You bet. <laughs> uh, a former KGB officer, Soviet right. intelligence, a man committed to the old Soviet system, right. bitterly hostile to the West right. then and I think even now, right. is I think trying to get a redo. Right. And uh, what's happening is we've taken steps with our Czech allies and our Polish allies to try to put into place not an offensive missile right, of course. threatening the Soviets or the Russians now, not, not something that is even really about deterrence necessarily right. of, of Russia. It's about trying to ensure that in the event, as seems likely, that countries like Iran, with relatively small numbers of ballistic missiles, right. but a, an ambition to threaten other folks, including, as you've mentioned, Israel, and I think us, but probably also our European allies, right. to put into place, in other words, a shield against such threats from Iran. In fact, what I understand is they're going to be installing maybe 10 interceptors or so. That's correct. I assume they're long-range interceptors. That's correct. They're able to see these things and shoot them down from great distances. That's correct. Purely defensive act. They are indeed. And and, um, it's it's putting into place basically a a capability that we're starting to enjoy now at long last in this country. Mm -hmm. Some relatively modest, but nonetheless some defense against these sorts of missile threats. Right. And and given, you know, it's just so important to keep this in mind. Given that Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the president of Iran, Iran, has repeatedly talked about triggering something that sounds an awful lot like the apocalypse. Right. um, In order to bring about the return of a messiah figure they call the Mahdi. Right. Having such a defensive capability to to try to prevent that apocalyptic vision from being executed is important. So I mentioned all this. Obviously. I mean, it just seems obvious to me. But here's the problem. Vladimir Putin in Russia is closely allied with Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Right. Sure. He is bitterly opposed to the United States. And he's trying, I think, to see if he can't dissuade or otherwise undermine this sensible defensive measure in right. Poland and the Czech Republic by engaging in threats very like those that he and his team engaged sure. in it sounds exactly years like ago. the Cold War. It's sounds a, exactly like redo. the Cold War. In fact, when I heard his initial reaction to it, his argument is that if we put in the ability to defend ourselves against Russian missiles, then they lose their ability to react to any attacks, and therefore they're defenseless. So if we defend ourselves, not if we attack, but just if we defend ourselves, they they feel defenseless, and yeah. so they begin to posture. This but let's way. do a sanity check. Drives here. me crazy. A, a reality check. The Soviet Union bequeathed to today's Russia, right, thousands of ballistic missiles of right. various ranges. They're still right. there, right? And they still most of them, at best we can tell, are operational. They have nuclear weapons, right? Ten 
<laughs> defensive interceptors right. is not going to leave the Soviet it's, it, Union it's not or a threat its to successor right. disarmed right. by any stretch of the imagination. Right. If we're lucky, it will be able to deny people like the Iranians the right. capability to threaten our friends or allies or ourselves. But it's not going to do anything to stop the Russians if they're intent on harming us. Well, it's a rare privilege for me to have uh, Frank Gaffney here and be able to speak with him for a minute. And I want to ask you, Mr. Gaffney, another question about uh, Russia real quickly. Just to ask your take on this, if I have it right or wrong. From my experience in Moscow, I was there last summer, and uh, my experience was that they love Lenin. Boy, they exalt him and hold him up. They uh, ignore Stalin, kind of pretend he wasn't there, uh, or at least avoid talking about him very much. They hate Gorbachev because they think he gave away the country. They uh, at least respect Yeltsin and respect Putin because, uh, well, basically, I I think they respect people they fear Mm -hmm. and uh, they have power. And my impression uh, being in in Moscow, and this may be completely wrong, and boy, all all the Russian – Russians out there listening, I just want to say to you, I'm not trying to be offensive, but man, it was like a mob state. It was like a state where you knew, you could see the black-suited thugs that represented the mafia that that was there, and uh, basically Putin was the most powerful mafia leader over there, and that's what it was all about. It it, it was really a a scary setting, not personally. I didn't feel threatened or anything, but as far as looking at the nation and realizing their entire national identity seems to be premised on being able to be the power that withstands the United States. Is any of that what, what of that would you correct? And I, I don't know enough national policy. I, th- I think a lot, of that's, a lot of that's uh, quite true. The Lenin unmistakably has a, a following. Right. Stalin is actually being brought back. Oh, Reha- Rehabilitated. Betsy. Oh, no. Gorbachev, you're right, was, <laughs> was considered a weakling yeah. and a failure. I think probably most people feel that way about Yeltsin as well, though he, uh, right. he tried, the to, end. tried to help uh, make sense of it all. But, but in, in the, the end, end I he think was you're corrupt right. and a drunk and right. hopeless. Putin is the man on a white horse. Putin right. is the man who is clearly determined to reestablish the greatness of Russia and create anew, I think, something akin to the old Soviet empire. It, right. it probably won't be a communist thing, but, but it's... But it makes them one of the powers of the world again. Yeah. And That's it's, the same. it's a fascist kind of operation. You, you've correctly described sort of the overtones of, of the mob. But yeah, it's power. It's, it's about power. It's always been about power. Yeah. And Putin is a practitioner of they, it. They've had that mentality for, I guess, centuries, really, uh, from the czars forward. And uh, it's hard to, hard to change a worldview like that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's one of the reasons we value a Christian worldview. Well, uh, this is Barry Kramer. Honored to have Frank Gaffney as a guest. We'll be back right after the break together. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live on the Chriswell Radio Network. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. And I am in the studio with uh, Frank Gaffney, the uh, founder and president of the Center for, what's it called? Security Policy. Security Policy. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, anyway, we've had a great privilege talking about uh, some of the things that have been going on in the news today. I also want to ask you just to react to a few comments that Bush made during the State of the Union address, if you don't mind. That'd be all right? Terrific. All right, great. Uh, here's, he- here's one of the things that he said about what's going on in Iraq regarding the uh, troop surge and uh, how, how that's been working. While the enemy is still dangerous... And more work remains. The American and Iraqi surges have achieved results few of us could have imagined just one year ago. Now, I know it's driving uh, his opponents crazy that uh, he's had some success with the troop surge. And, you know, I say, President Bush, we all are grateful for General Petraeus and the leadership he's provided, really the solution he's sort of provided in in that situation. But Bush went on to add a little more about the success that the troop surge has brought. Some may deny the surge is working. But among the terrorists, there is no doubt. Al-Qaeda is on the run in Iraq, and this enemy will be defeated. Well, give me just your overall impression of what's going on in Iraq right now, how the surge is doing. In your opinion, uh, you're informed on these things. We really – I'm just curious. What what are you thinking about all that right now? Today, as you know, uh, there were two suicide attacks in uh, Baghdad with uh, considerable loss of life. The reports I've seen indicate that – these involved two women with Down syndrome oh my. who had explosive vests strapped to them and that they were detonated remotely. It is just unbelievable well, what it, they're willing to do. Well, it's evidence of what we're up against here, right. the, the, the inhumanity of these beastly terrorists and their determination to kill and maim innocent people uh, as well as Americans, of course. I, I think there's no question – notwithstanding this new low, right. that we're making incredible progress. Well, in fact, isn't a low like that some evidence that we're making progress? Because, I mean, it doesn't make – now, I may be completely misreading what you just said, but from what you said, it sounds to me like if you're strapping the bombs on someone with Down syndrome, that you're having a harder time recruiting the gung-ho 20-year-old to go sacrifice his life to obliterate people so that the Americans will stay longer, which right. never made sense to me to begin with. But doesn't it sound like they might be having at least a recruiting problem or something like that? Yeah, I, I was, that's where I was, exactly where I was going with this. Oh, okay. I, I think it is evidence that, uh, as the president said, al-Qaeda is back on its heels. Will it stay there? Uh, will will others fill the void? Uh, remains to be seen. But I right. think clearly the strategy of trying to succeed in Iraq right. has been demonstrated to be not only possible but vastly to be preferred over the strategy strategy of just, allowing ourselves to be defeated. Oh, uh, with yeah. 
unimaginable consequence. I, I can't even. I, I, I go apoplectic when I hear people say that we just need to leave. It, it, it just drives me crazy. And what really frightens me is that we're only an election away from deciding to do that, even after we've turned the tide and got things going the other direction. It just scares me to death. Not not in the sense that I'm afraid God's not in control or something like that, but I mean in reality, it's a very frustrating position. Uh, you know, there are so many people who make these comments, uh, Mr. Gaffney, that um, we've gone into the wrong country. We should have gone after Obama, and instead we went into Iraq and. Of course, uh, what President Bush has emphasized since the war began, and I don't, I, don't, I don't really know how to carry the argument about why we went in or why we didn't go in, but the reality is, since we've been there, it has been the place that we've been trying to stand against al-Qaeda, and what President Bush regarded as success would have something to do with no longer providing a safe haven for al-Qaeda. In fact, that's what he's referring to in this statement. The mission in Iraq has been difficult and trying for our nation. But it is in the vital interest of the United States that we succeed. And again, the vital interest that he has in mind there is that we're able to stifle terrorism by taking away one of their places to be. It almost seems to me, and I, I just, I've always wanted to ask somebody this question who would know. Uh, it almost seems to me like we started fighting in Iraq and al-Qaeda saw us fighting there and said, let's go fight America there. And to be honest, from that perspective, I say, man, uh, fantastic. Uh, that's that's where we want to have the fight in a country that already hated us, was already directly opposed to us, standing against us as an enemy to begin with, and where all of our enemies are willing to pile in like ants to an antlion and uh, be fought against. But it, it does make it difficult. Uh, but it seems to me that we're not in a bad position if we can stay in there and finish what we're what we're doing. I know in policy terms you would agree with that. Do you think in practical terms that it can happen? Again, if we'd had this conversation before we saw the effects of the surge, it right. might be harder to make this argument. Right. But I think there's no question. What we've demonstrated is as we're able to provide a measure of security for the people of Iraq, they themselves are doing what I always thought was ultimately going to determine the outcome here. They've been turning against al-Qaeda. Right. They've been turning against the Shia right. militias. Um, they still have not made the kind of political uh, progress that we all would like to see them make, and I think that the people of sure. Iraq deserve. But it's so clearly now a precondition to that kind of progress that you, there be security. Right. That I think that's now in prospect as well. Right. And And the important thing here is if we have the opportunity to stabilize this situation in Iraq – to defeat al-Qaeda, to bring about a government that is pro-Western, anti-terrorist, right. reasonably democratic, right. it creates opportunities for us elsewhere in the region right. that are so urgently needed for the people there as well as for ourselves. And well, that's why it's important not to quit. You can't imagine how pleased I am to hear you say all that just because uh, I agree. <laughs> I agree 100 percent. It's just nice to know their sanity actually in a position that can speak to these issues. Well, it's common sense, frankly, is, is really what it amounts to. And uh, it's nice to have a little bit of that uh, floating around. That's what it seems like. I want to get your reaction to just a few more things. Uh, right now, uh, Barack Obama seems to be po posturing himself into ah, that, that. That's kind of a rhetorical word their posturing. So let me just say it more generously. He is stating that he is going to be strong on defense if he's a president. He's going to take care of the country. Here's one of the comments he recently made. I intend to be your commander-in-chief, and my job will be to keep you safe. And I will do anything that is required, and I will strike 
I will not hesitate to strike against those who would do us harm. And in fact, uh, just uh, at another, in another comment, he adds that even if those enemies were in another country like uh, Pakistan, we would be willing, if they were not, to go in and to kill them there. It was a terrible mistake to fail to act when we had a chance to take out an al-Qaeda leadership meeting in 2005. If we have actionable intelligence about high-value terrorist targets and President Musharraf will not act, we will. Yet, with all of that, he has also said in the past very specifically that he, is, uh, he was opposed to the Iraq War from the beginning, for instance. And I even heard him say on uh, one occasion that he was going, in, in a debate, he made the statement that he was going to uh, personally take nuclear weapons off the table so that they would not be available in war. He would just unilaterally declare the United States would not use nuclear weapons, which is insane in a world filled with nuclear weapons and people like uh, Ahmadinejad that you mentioned a moment ago. So I just want to know, do you think uh, Obama is seeing, and I, I know you can't read his mind, but I, you, you have knowledge of these things, do you think he's posturing himself to sound more, to sound stronger on defense because we absolutely have to have someone strong on defense now, and he knows that, or, or do you think he really has learned some, changed his mind, and holds a, a stronger defense position? Just in cur- I'm just curious of your opinion. Uh, obviously, it's a hope <laughs> that he's learned. Okay. It's a hope that he's maturing, that he recognizes that some of the positions that he's taken are indefensible, right. as well as bad for the defense of the United States. Right. Um, but I have to tell you, I'm deeply suspicious um, okay. because he he persists right. in making statements. For example, uh, along the lines of what we were just talking about, that he wants to get us out of Iraq right. no matter what right away. Right. And it worries that's me just, too. that just undercuts um, what I think is a rhetoric that seems right. rather calculated to bolster the perception that he's, he's conscientious, he's responsible, he's a strong commander-in-chief, when I fear that's not the case. Well, it, it just it, it kills me that we've become uh, so adju- accustomed to politicians lying that we, that we have a hard time believing any of them. Sometimes we have a hard time believing when McCain stands up and says how conservative he is now about things, too. So it's a very difficult uh, situation we find ourselves in. In the few minutes we have remaining, while you're still here in studio with us, I want to ask you about uh, this whole relationship between Israel and Iran right now, and Ahmadinejad and what he wants to do and where you see that going. What are the critical issues going on with that right now? Just what's your take on what we should know about that whole relationship? As a country and as a sort of Western free world, we have serially chosen to ignore declarations of very dangerous people. Absolutely, including Hitler in the past. Notably Adolf Hitler. Right. And today we are ignoring the stated objectives of Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, who, frankly, is probably a front man for his regime, but that True. doesn't make it any better. He's he's still out there uh, making statements about wiping Israel off the map. And they like having him out there saying that, and apparently. He's, as, as recently as I think yesterday, he has said, you know, the end of the Zionist state is at hand. Um, <laughs> now, as he's doing that, he's pursuing nuclear weapons, and as we were talking about earlier, right, ballistic missiles with which to deliver them. Right. Certainly to ranges including bring Israel. Israel into the crosshairs. Right. And for us to ignore this, for us to hope that it doesn't mean it, for us to pretend that 
if we just ignore it, it'll go away, is right. the height of irresponsibility, I'm afraid, not just for our friends in Israel, but for us as well. In a very brief answer, I just want to ask you this. A lot of us who are thinking about this, a lot of our audience, I think, we have quite a few reasons that we want Israel to persist as a state and why we want them to be there. If you were to give one or two very brief reasons why it's very important for Israel to persist as a state in that region, what would you say are the reasons? Well, of course, your audience understands the, the theological reasons better than I. It's, it's an important part of the Western world, and it's in the front lines of the war for the free world. Right. So a democracy right there in the middle of a, a region that doesn't have and its uh, defeat much of democracy. will be seen as a defeat for us, too. I'd be catastrophic. Uh, listen, I want to get your take on uh, what we've been talking about here, as well as about domestic issues important to our nation about the upcoming election. Uh, remembering that we want to see it from a deliberately Christian perspective. We've been talking to Frank Gaffney. It's been a real privilege to do that, but now it's time to get your take on it also. So you're going to be able to call in right after the break. We'll be right back with more, and especially to hear from you on Jerry Johnson Live. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. All right, here on Jerry Johnson Live for the last half hour, I've had the privilege of talking with Frank Gaffney. Uh, that was a real uh, honor. I I enjoyed being able to speak with him. But now I have the privilege of hearing from you. First, if you have a reaction to something Mr. Gaffney spilled out during the last uh, you know half hour that we had together, then uh, get on the phone and give us a call at one eight hundred eight eight one nine two seven zero and give us your take on it. But secondly, I also want to ask you about uh, some issues that are coming out right now dealing with the domestic side of the current political environment, and in particular uh, with the economy. Now, don't don't do it. Don't reach over there and change the station. You need to stay on for this, because even though we're going to talk about the economy, we're not going to talk about the way you're used to talking about it. It's not bad. So stay on there for a second, because we need to discuss this. This is not just an issue of how many dollars are in the stock market and what's going on with current money monetary policy. This is an ethical issue. It's a values issue for a reason that I want to make clear. And our view of the economy is a reflection of our view of the, uh, of the world. And our Christian worldview should inform our economic worldview as well. So I want to introduce those issues. And if you want to comment on economic policy or the things that are going on in the economy right now while we're talking about them or any of the things that I bring up in just a few moments, then you feel free also to pick up the phone and call us at 1-800-881-9270. We'd love to have your input, love to be able to get you on the show, We'd love to be able to talk to you just like I did talking to Frank Gaffney a few minutes ago. Okay, so why would I make the claim that economics is an ethical issue. I'm saying by that, it's a values issue. You know, when we say we vote our values, I don't vote the economy just because I want to make money. In fact, there are times when I have to make a decision to vote for somebody that I think may not be good for me in my pocketbook. But because of my values, I choose to make certain decisions about the economy, and I want those to be reflected in the person who's going to be establishing policy for me in Washington, or more importantly, if they have finally let go of the power they have there, maybe at the state legislature. 
legislature or at the local level, it makes a big difference. You say, well, how could you say that the economy could be a values issue? Well, first of all, the Eighth Commandment, the commandment not to steal, is a statement about economics. It's a statement that says it is not wrong for a person to own things. You are supposed to have things. You are supposed to get things, and when you get them, they're yours. They're not someone else's. They can't just come and take them from you. That would be stealing. That's why it's commanded against. It's one of the basic rules of how we live. When John Locke, now I know you don't want to hear a philosopher's name. It's okay. Forget that he's a philosopher. He's a political writer. He's the guy that Thomas Jefferson got the ideas from when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. When John Locke wanted to describe just three basic rights that every person has that are, in Thomas Jefferson's words, endowed to them by their creator, he said, a right to life, liberty, and property. And even though it was omitted as property in the Declaration of uh, of Independence, because it was misunderstood, it was taken to be, well, you'd have to be a landowner or something like that. It's nothing to do with that. It has to do with saying, when I have my iPod, I have a right to hang on to that iPod, and you don't have a right to take it away from me. Now, here's the basic idea. It just makes sense that in a state that's free, I am free to keep the stuff that's mine. It doesn't mean I'm free to go take your stuff. It doesn't mean I'm free to have all the things I want. But the stuff that I have is mine, and I get to keep it. Not because I'm selfish, not because I'm a corporate monger or pirate, but because it is my stuff so that I can live my life and take care of my family. And that's what freedom is all about. Now, that's built into uh, the way that we see individual rights and freedoms and values. And if we take economics to be something that we use so that we can make everybody have everything they want, then we're inevitably going to start taking away the stuff that some people have by force and giving it to other people who want that stuff. And that's a violation of an ethical principle of not stealing. It's an important thing. Now, that's just one of the reasons that it's related. There's a much more fundam- fundamental reason that's related to it also. But first, uh, I want to hear from Mark on uh, line two. Mark, thanks for calling in from Dallas. Good to hear from you. Uh, what's on your mind tonight? Yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, what are you thinking? Are you, I mean, totally blinded by your republicanism? Or is it just, <laughs> in what way? Know, what do you mean? It's just crazy. I mean, we're like what? War that's cost this country billions and billions and billions yeah. of dollars. Sure. This economy is in the worst trouble it's ever been in. Okay, Mark, th- now this is a typical minute, This is a typical finish. line. Let okay, I- I'm going to let you finish if it's interesting, but if it gets uninteresting, you're just going to have to listen and answer my question, okay? Go ahead. No, but you, you continue to talk about things that, you know, just don't make sense. Okay, I mean, uh, so can I just clarify, because I, just to save a little time, because I want to answer you. You're saying I'm an idiot because I'm willing to spend billions of dollars on a foreign war instead of using that money to shore up the economy here at home, right? Uh, that would be a good way of saying it. All right, good with. deal. I mean, if and I know you're not being history, insulting to me. Wait, you're just let me finish. defending your position. You no, hang history. on just a second. I need to ask you a question, Mark, because I'm curious if you think that the billions of dollars that we've spent on that war just ceased to exist because we spent them. Like, for instance, are you against NASA? I am not against NASA, but, you know, well, that's billions of dollars, man. We're just Corvette, we're just sending it up into space years and years and years before somebody like Westmoreland, who was the head of the armed forces in Vietnam, who finally admitted that we had no business being in Vietnam. That's a completely and, different thing than you started out talking about. You were right, talking about we how we're no wasting money over there. In Iraq either. I mean, okay, so you're people. against the war regardless of whether it's economic oh, or not. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Right. I, mean, and, you I know, just needed to know who I'm talking to. to. A good portion of this country. So you wouldn't care if al-Qaeda is defeated there. It was still stupid for us to go over there. 
It is absolutely ridiculous. Even you know, if the terrorists are defeated. Sit here in this country Even right if now? we haven't had another terrorist attack on American soil since then. It was just idiotic. I can't believe we would bother Do you doing know that. How many, how many al-Qaeda sects sit in this country right now? You, you know why I don't know? Something? If, if there was anything that they wanted to do here, that our defenses are so uh, narrow. You think if they could do something, they wouldn't be doing it? Do you think they oh, would just sit on their hands and say, oh, it's let's just, wait? It's a matter of time. It's really just a matter of time. Mark, I, I appreciate your call. I really do. But the reality is you're not getting the picture. Uh, the, <laughs> there are two things that you said that just don't make sense. Number one is when we're spending money, the money doesn't cease to exist. In fact, when we spend money, that money goes back into the economy, and it just keeps things moving forward. Now, we can spend it poorly. We can spend it badly, and we can spend it in ways that don't contribute to the economy in the way it ought to. But that doesn't undermine the economy. In the same way, NASA doesn't undermine the economy. And by the way, I'm not against NASA. That wasn't what I was implying. I'm all for it. Spend the money. Those people then go to the grocery store, and the grocer's happy, and the grocer buys gas, and the gas companies are happy, and man, are they happy today. But anyway, all of that feeds into the economy. See, i got no problem with any of that. And if we're not being attacked by the terrorists, and it has anything to do with the fact that they're fighting us over in Iraq instead of here, I am sad for Iraq. I'm sad for what they go through. But I am pleased that we have a president who's willing to do something to defend our country from attacks on our soil. And for crying out loud, I'm not going to apologize for the fact that we happen to be fighting somewhere else instead of here. That's what I want to be happening. I want us to fight in such a way that my family is safe. That's our government's responsibility to be able to provide for us that way. Marina, thanks so much for calling from Garland. Marina, I'll be nice to you. I really do appreciate your calling. What's going on with you? Well, um, I'm so glad that you speak out about our president and what he's doing because... um I know that the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the um, I mean, I'm a conservative, and uh, uh-huh. I, for me, priority to uh, secure our, our country. Sure. And we are blessed that so far, you know, we are safe right now. Right. That's <laughs> exactly right. They, they, you know, the type seems like we, people forgot September 11th. Right. And, 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 you know, we have been blessed since then. Yes. Because we've been willing to step yes. up to the plate and and yes. and and be assertive, uh, yes. do something to bring about our own safety. And I just want to introduce to everybody that it's really important that we also transfer that perspective on being assertive to our values about domestic issues as well. Because it's not acceptable for us just to give in and say, "Yeah, you know, we need to we need to be." Look, when I say. Uh, ec- ec- economics is a is an ethical issue, is a values issue. You know what most people think I mean? They think I mean, oh, we should be compassionate. We need to be socially compassionate. They've reduced ethics to emotion, which is what that liberal way of thinking promotes. That's not what ethics is. Ethics is not just emotion. Ethics may be an emotional awareness that some things are right and some things are wrong, but it's also the ability to respond with circumspection, to respond in a way that actually helps. Otherwise, you just become enablers, which is a lot of what we've done in our economy. We've become the kind of people who enable others to remain in poverty or who enable others to remain dependent on their nanny state mother, which is where a lot of us have arrived. We are comfortable in the lap of our government mother, and we don't want to do anything to undermine that relationship, even though in reality we value the freedom that we are giving up by allowing the government to set policy that 
determines what our economy does. There are huge risks if we don't do that. I recognize that. But those risks are to be addressed in the free market, and that's the only right way to address them. Hillary Clinton, uh, a while back, a couple of quarters ago, was commenting on the uh, amount of money that the oil companies were making. They had record profits at the time. And uh, what she indicated was that she didn't want them to be able to hold on to that money. It, it wasn't rightfully theirs. Listen to what she said back then. The other day, the oil companies reported the highest profits in the history of the world. I want to take those profits and I want to put them into a strategic energy fund. Listen, she said that the oil companies had made so much money that she wanted to take their money and put it into a government fund so that we could do something different with energy policy. Now, understand that our economy is based on the fact that businesses make money. I would imagine she is frothing at the mouth today after the report that Exxon made even more money for this year than they did last year with their record profits then, uh, turning in a $40.6 billion profit for this year and $11.7 billion for this quarter. And with all of those profits, we're... Our reaction as individuals is to say, oh, those mean oil companies, I can't believe they're making that kind of money. And the government's compassionate liberal response is to say, you know, it's okay for the government forcibly to come and take money out of your pocket so we can give it to poorer people. But it's wrong for a company to take money from people who drive up to the pumps and freely give what's in their pocket so that they can get a resource from the company that they're able to provide for them. Look, we're talking about domestic policy right now. I want you to call in. We've got some on the line we're going to be talking to. Come back and join us for some more as we finish up on Jerry Johnson Live. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswill.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Hey, I'm glad you've stayed with us today. I'm having a good time uh, talking about this. Uh, listen, uh, my wife said something to me this week before we get to the next couple of callers that are waiting on the line. Uh, she said, you know, with, with Benifer and Brangelina, I, I wonder why nobody has talked about Billery and calling the, the Clinton White House the Billery White House. And then, she, and then she paused and she said, oh, you know, I know why, because if you started that the other way, you wouldn't have Billery, you'd have Hillbilly. And uh, nobody would want that. I, I just cracked up when she said that. I thought it was hilarious. Anyway, uh, we've got some callers still on the line to come back and give us some more uh, feedback feedback on these last few callers, I think, that we've had. So uh, let me start with Tyler. I appreciate your calling. Tyler, what's up? 
Hey, Dr. Kramer. Um, just a response to the gentleman who called before the break, saying that the economy is in the worst shape it's ever been. Unfortunately, right. if you actually look at the numbers, instead of listening to what people on Wall Street and every other news outlet wants to say, it really isn't. If you mentioned Vietnam, the numbers of the strength of the economy from Vietnam to today are astronomically different. Right. The economy is not in, work, in bad shape. The economy is contracting right now, I will agree. And the reason for that is things such as the tax cuts that are being threatened to be taken away. Right. But also, it's because you have the issue in this country where it has been driven by debt. Yeah. And the Man, Bible says not to be indebted to anybody. Tyler, I just have to comment. You, you've got exa- I think you have exactly the right perspective, especially on this fact that uh, when the economy is starting to turn down right now, that's not an indication that something's been done wrong for the last eight years. That's an indication of fear about what's going to be happening in the coming months because people are in the market on speculation about the future. They're not in the market on returns from what's happened in the past. So I think you're exactly right about that. And I'll, I'll also add, Tyler, that I think that's why we headed into a recession when Bush first took office because you can only you can only act in a pie in the sky way and create this 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 just eggshell thin ice layer of an economy that I think the Clinton economy was and uh, when you take out the the fluff and the boom and the excitement of it and deal with the reality of what's there which is the debt you're talking about then you have to somebody has to pay the piper and that's what was happening with that recession back eight years ago and now we've got to deal with the reality that we're facing another administration maybe in, in in the next year that's going to want to increase taxes and take away, just like I was talking about. We see the oil industry as the enemy, but that's insane. And, Tyler, I just want your feedback on this real quickly since you called in to raise the subject. It's insane. The oil companies, all the other companies that are making money, they're made up of people, and they're made up of people who spend that money in the economy and invest that money in the economy and who drive the economy. So I, and, they're all, I just, and they're also made up of people that go to the places on this earth that people don't want to go to. Subarctic temperatures trying true. to find things <laughs> that are – it's insane that we want to say to people, you made too much money when you've put the hard work and effort into – R&D to make that happen. Right, and right. And if you also look historically, this is an election year. Right. Every election year, you have a downturn in the market. Because, because there's, there's worry the about what's going to be happening. What's going to happen and the uncertainty of who's in power scares people. Yeah, sure. I, I understand exactly where you're Tyler, I think you've got a great perspective. We have such a short segment right now. I hate to even cut you off. You, you've got a great input on it, and I appreciate your call. Uh, Carla, I know you're also waiting on the line. I appreciate your calling. What do you have on your mind? Um, yes, I was calling in regards to the the phone call earlier from the Vietnam vet. Sure. And I I wanted to say first of all I appreciate his willingness to go to war for our country. My oh, absolutely. My father's a World War II vet, but um, I think his comments were ignorant. I don't mean that disrespectful, but you mean without knowledge, lacking knowledge. Sure. Vietnam and the war in Iraq are two totally different things. I grew up in the Middle East. I spent a large portion of my life over there, and Islam, there's no separation of culture and religion. Right. And they view our culture as a representation of our religion. Yeah, you're right. Therefore, they see us as a great evil. And they have a strong desire, the radicals have a strong desire to destroy us. Yeah, it is inherent. The war in Iraq is a protection because, just to explain it in layman's terms, they're going to keep pushing the envelope. I'm a teacher and a parent. Right. Just like kids who are undisciplined. They keep pushing the envelope to see how far they can get without being disciplined. The radical Muslims are going to see how close they can get to their ultimate goal of destruction of our culture and our religion before they're disciplined. And it is, you know, it is sort of turning our back and not going to war (laughs) and showing them 
you know, that we're capable of protecting ourselves, they're right. going to keep pushing, keep pushing, and keep trying. Yeah, which, by the way, is the reason Israel has taken the traditional stance they have on always striking back, on never letting something go unpunished when they're attacked by another nation. And, they uh, understand it is, the culture. It, yeah, it, and it is true that it's built into the traditional Muslim view that uh, the whole of your existence, the whole of your life is unified by your Islamic faith. And I don't mean from a worldview perspective like us. We just want the government to leave us alone and allow us to be Christians. I mean they see government, family, society, culture, religion, politics, everything is being governed under the Islamic umbrella. That's how they see the world. So it's very difficult for them to make the change. That's why democracy is a hard thing to initiate in a country like Iraq. People don't think in those free terms. We have one more caller I really want to get to before we run out of time today. So, Eric, I appreciate your call and appreciate your waiting. What did you have to say today? Yes, I, first of all, I wanted to offer uh, to the caller as a Vietnam vet yes. the book Unheralded Victory. Oh, fantastic. Wonderful book uh, for everybody out there that has served in Vietnam or since then. Unheralded Victory, the first half documents how we never la- lost on the battlefield in Southeast Asia. Right. And even the Tet Offensive was a huge That's right. Loss. That's right. They, they, they lost, but we lost politically. Exactly. Sure. And, uh, and the second half of the book uh, chronicles the, uh, the lies and media mistruths that right. were put forth. And um, just an amazing book. Uh, very small things, those that can remember uh, Daniel Boone. Right. The producer of that show has in writing that the uh, Redcoats were to be seen as an imperial power that could not win against an indigenous guerrilla warfighter. Yeah, right. And wow. So even as a child watching that, he was being planted in my mind that we couldn't win a guerrilla war. That's that's a shame, isn't it? And, you know, I know I have I have several friends who fought in the Vietnam War and I think their opinion and I, I, I value their opinion. I value their sacrifice because I find them to be very wise. They're sage because of their experience in Vietnam. But I also know that they've been uh, they've been jilted. And, uh, and, and and justly so. They have seen war, and I have not. And they hate it so much that they would oppose basically any war because of the things that they saw take place in Southeast Asia. Thanks so much for your call, Eric. I appreciate your taking the time to, to share those ideas with us. Listen, uh, I want to share a couple of things with you before we're done here, and I appreciate, again, you taking the time to, to follow through this with us. Uh, with all the emphasis we put on foreign affairs today, I'll just say the government has certain responsibilities, and we have certain responsibilities, and uh, we need to share those correctly, truly, in balance so that we can maximize the freedom with which people can live their lives so that they can choose Christ. You know, with all that foreign, domestic, political, economic discussion we've been having, let me remind you just how good our lives are. Do you realize how good your life is? Listen to this. It's so good that when things go wrong, we get mad at God. Despite what we deserve because of our failures, our experience has so convinced us that life is good that we get upset with God if something goes wrong, and I understand why we do, because we get good and good and good and good and good, and then something goes wrong, and so we blame God for it. Listen, next time something's wrong in your life, or if it's wrong right now, next time something's wrong, thank God that your life is so good that the bad time bothers you. This is Barry Creamer, and you've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live. been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. 
Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.